The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello, my name is Nigel Clark, and I'm happy to introduce the next in our podcast series. And today we have Orla Feeney. She's going to tell us a little bit about herself, the job, the challenges, the excitements, and other aspects of what she does. Orla, good morning. Good morning, Nigel. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you studied, where, and how you came to join the EPO? Well, I started uh, my studies in Dublin. I did a degree in applied physics, master's in uh, optoelectronics in Belfast. And from there, I took off to the Canary Islands, where I worked for a while at um, an astronomical observatory. Somebody's got to do it, I suppose. <laughs> Indeed, the times were hard back then. I worked, uh, there's, on the Canary Islands, there are some uh, observatories with ground-based telescopes. So I worked for a while building um, optical instruments for those telescopes to improve the quality of the images um, that can be taken with those telescopes. Following from that, I did some PhD studies, um, building a prototype instrument um, called a wavefront sensor, which is part of an adaptive optic system, which again has a focus of improving the quality of ground-based telescopes to maybe give them a, a, a resolution mm. which is comparable, or at least that's the goal of, a, of something like the Hubble Space Telescope. So you worked with essentially large centralized facilities? Indeed, yes. Many people may have seen these observatories. There's uh, up on the top of the mountain in uh, El Teide in Tenerife and in the in La Palma, the El Roque de los Muchachos, there are six or seven or I don't know, in the meantime, maybe of that order of ground-based telescopes, which are run by um, scientific uh, collaborations uh, between European scientific institutes. So are you working in the field of telescopes right now? Well, I, wor I work in the field of optics, so uh, uh, optics and optical apparatus, optical systems. So, of course, I had a very good, uh, uh, I came uh, equipped with a, a lot of knowledge from my studies and from the work experience and my PhD studies to work in the field uh, uh, G02B, it's called, which is a very broad uh, field covering all aspects really of optical apparatus and systems. So the inventions you see, are they are they uh, consumer goods? Are they scientific apparatus? Are they industrial products? Well, definitely a combination of all of those. I mean, we can start with things like lighting in your home. Nowadays, there's a trend, you know, to move towards LED light sources, which is not the part that I examine. What we examine so LEDs are um, an attractive substitute for uh, tungsten filament bulbs, which we had previously, because they're more energy efficient. The disadvantage of LEDs is that they're a point light source. And for our lighting needs, we often need uh, various shapes uh, of illumination. So an important area that we deal with is um, lenses for which are used with LEDs to produce illumination for the home, illumination for street lighting, also for car headlights, for example. These lenses, which are used to shape the light from LEDs, that's an important area. So, so LED is light-emitting diode, right? 
Yes, an LED is a light emitting diode, which which is a point like source. So it's it's um, minuscule. It's a small light source. So that won't be. It won't give enough light necessarily to to light your interiors to uh, in the use of street lighting or headlights. So in order to uh, make the lighting coming from LEDs, make it more usable for all different types of um, applications. The LEDs are used with lenses. These are special lenses which shape the beam that comes out of an LED. So these LEDs, are they brighter than incandescent lights, for example? Brightness, you know, meaning the intensity of the light they emit. Well, yes, they, indeed they can be. Well, they're used um, in... in uh, you have a, a matrix, so an array of LEDs. It has the advantage that you can get um, whatever wavelength of light out that you want. So maybe a softer light towards the blue uh, region of the of the visible spectrum. So yes, indeed, you can maybe tune the light better that you get out of the of the light source. That's an, a real advantage. So so in the um, let's say as you say, they, these are point sources of light. But if you want a, a let's say a large diffuse light source. You have to use an array, right? Correct. And then you use an array of the light sources and then you use an array of lenses too with a particular shape. I mean, you know what a lens is, so you have a particular shape on the surface, so uh, maybe more curved. Don't forget that for street lighting, for example, or for car headlights, there are certain norms that that the lighting has to uh, fulfill. So the lens plays an important role there in in producing the light pattern or the illumination pattern uh, that you want in order to provide sufficient light and, and, and a shape that you need in order to fulfill the norms uh, required. So I assume this, there's other advantages of LEDs over other forms of lighting. So maybe energy consumption? Yes, indeed. Yes. Although I must say that LEDs themselves, in order to be strict about it, the LED itself is in a different technical field. So in my uh, technical area, we um, take care of the lenses and all the different shapes and sizes to shape the light beam coming out of the LED. But the LED itself and that technology is um, in a different technical field, so to speak. So you're you're really concerned, as you said, with optical elements. So these are what refractive and reflective optics. Exactly, that's right. So refraction being bending of light. Light in, goes from one from a medium of a given refractive index into a different medium. For example, glass, like in a lens. Well, the light gets bent, and this is the basis for all um, optical systems different media, different refractive index, and what happens to the light passing from one medium into the next. And that's taken advantage of. It's called Snell's Law, for those of you who might remember it from, I don't know, high school physics. Mm, that's the basis for, for everything that we do in, uh, in optics. So these products, these inventions that you see, are they they just purely for... A commercial, uh, let's say, domestic use or industrial or other. Uh, no, I mean there are. Sorry, there are many different applications, and uh, all around us, optical systems, optical effects. Take, for example, if any of us takes out our wallet and takes a look in there, and you take a look at your money, all the money you have in your wallet. Well, mm-hmm. every single banknote you have in your wallet um, has a security feature, or actually several. 
security features, the more the higher the value of the node. Uh, some of those nodes can have up to seven security features on them. And these security features all exhibit um, optically, so-called optically variable effects. And of course, for the companies that produce these bank notes, they have to try and stay one step ahead of the counterfeiters. And how do they do that? They do that by providing security features such as hologram patches or stripes or other optical structures, which are very difficult to, um, to reproduce. So the technology is such that manufacturer provides, uh, it's called thin film technology. So precise de deposition of metallic and non-metallic layers in a structured order on the banknote. I mean, these are small features. You can see it if you take out your banknote. Now you can see and, and these, this precise arrangement of these metallic and non-metallic layers gives rise to interference effects. And what happens then is that you have an angle-dependent color variation. If you take your banknote and you tilt it, uh, just tilt it, I don't know, 20 degrees or something, you would see that you have color changes on the 50 euro note. You can see that the, the color of the 50, the number 50 changes, and that's a an optically variable um, effect. And that's, of course, a very important technology And uh, because it's literally uh, the companies want to stay one step ahead of the counterfeiters. So they have to come up with new ideas to make uh, these features more difficult to reproduce because you need the measurements of the thin films are in nanometers. You need specialized equipment in order to produce these features and basically the features are difficult to counterfeit. That's the, the question. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you um, had seen any of the inventions that you've examined, <laughs> but obviously uh, you look at your money quite a lot. Indeed, uh, every night. Every, every night. night when I'm counting my money before I go to bed. Lovely. I, I, I'm the opposite. I try not to spend any money whatsoever, so I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't look at it. But actually, your, your story about the um, counterfeiting is really quite interesting. I remember uh, an incident here in Vienna when uh, uh, representatives of a photocopying company came to show us their latest machine, uh, and they ex explained that it was high resolution, high sensitivity, and really good reproducibility. So they asked us to see if we could test it. So I suggested we photocopy a 100-euro note and see what happened. And uh, the end result was there was, there was a, uh, a photocopy with black stripes all over it. So <laughs> it didn't look anything like a 100-euro note. So, uh, so the technology works. Indeed, yeah. That's a relief for all the, the money-making uh, companies, indeed, yeah. <laughs> so is there any other areas of application of your work that, let's say, a consumer could identify with? Yes, most certainly. Uh, so uh, uh, another area where many um, applications or patent applications that I look at are, um, prov are provided or we see very often is in the automobile industry. For example, at the moment, uh, well, not just at the moment, this is a development we've seen over the past years, is a development of the so-called head-up display in cars. Well, wait, I should say that in, in, in the automobile industry, when you sit into your car, there are many optical elements around you. Again, you have uh, light sources, again, LEDs um, and this and that. But the most exciting development, I think, in my opinion, for the automobile industry is the so-called 
head-up display, which you find in many new cars nowadays. And the head-up display technology came originally from the military. So for pilots, the pilots have to deal with a lot of information all at once. And this head-up display was developed originally for airline pilots to facilitate their job as a in the cockpit, receiving all this information. But nowadays in the automobile industry, that technology has been used and adapted uh, to um, to the car driver, basically. And it's a very practical um, invention. A display is provided under, when you're sitting in your, in your car and you've got the steering wheel in front of you, there you have the dashboard. And underneath the dashboard, you, ha- uh, you have a display device, like an LCD display, for example, provided, um, which um, uh, can project information that's relevant for the driver, um, it pro- projects it upwards um, in the in the in the windscreen. There's a an element provided, which is called a combiner, which reflects um, the image towards the driver. So basically, towards the driver's eyes. Um, but it's a see-through display, so the driver can see outside. You can see the road. You can see all the everything around him, which is very important, of course, for road safety. But on top of that, he can see other um, information. For example, uh, if you've put in a destination into your navigation system, well, the information is projected right in front of your eyes. Like, for example, in 200 meters, you need to turn right or um, that there's a a traffic jam up ahead or um, that there's an obstacle up ahead or most practically, I find, um, the, the, the speed limits for the area you're driving in at a given point in time is projected there. So it's a handy um, instrument to avoid getting a lot of um, speeding fines. So very practical. So do you think this could be developed into the direction, first of all, something like you, you said there was a, a, an advance warning of, of a turn coming up. But do yes. you think that could be adapted to say uh, in, in 500 meters, there's the next burger joint? <laughs> Yes, exactly. And other practical information like that. No, absolutely. Um, I think that in in the some cars already do provide that information, the so-called point of interest. So indeed, if you see, uh, if you feel you're getting hungry, Nigel, you can look at those points of interest and then all all of that information can be dis- displayed in the head-up display. Of course, there's also prioritizing of information. That's another development in the head-up display technology because if, uh, for example, a point of interest is being shown, I should also mention this information is is displayed in the periphery. So the information that's being displayed will never, the aim is not to distract the driver from his main um, main goal, which is get to get to his destination safely. But indeed, if... Um, uh, a point of interest is being displayed, such as the next Burger King joint, um, uh, and then something more urgent comes up, like like an obstacle on the road in front of you or a, a traffic jam. Of course, there's priority prioritization of information so that um, what's displayed, uh, the most immediate information which needed which is needed for the driver, um, is displayed before uh, some. Uh, less important uh, feature like where he can get his lunch. I mean, you could also think, uh, just thinking off the wall a bit, uh, you could combine this with infotainment and uh, get the football results <laughs> coming up or maybe a next <laughs> match from a soap opera or whatever. Uh, 
Yeah, well, you have to be careful not to distract the driver too much, uh, Nigel. So we have to keep, I mean, in the end, these features, don't forget, they're all to improve or increase the safety of the drivers and the passengers and the other users of the road. So um, you might have to wait uh, or, you know, you can simply listen to the radio if you want to hear the, the match results, maybe. That's fair enough. Fair enough. So, <laughs> safety first, uh, you know. <laughs> safety first. So, um, just a question about the actual job that you're doing. What's the What's the most satisfying part of uh, your job? For me, the most uh, what's very satisfying is the fact that there's a great variety of um, of subject matter. So, a variety of technology too. Even though it all f- falls under the title of optics, but I mean, I only mentioned, I've mentioned very few examples today, but we really deal with a, a large range of, um, of inventions, of applications. And this variety is very nice because uh, you, you open up a file and you see something different. And also it's challenging. You can imagine uh, this wide range of topics. And you also are informed about developments in the, in the field and in the technology. So I like that aspect. Another uh, aspect that I enjoy is uh, anyone who's been listening to, listening to the podcast might have noticed we are, you know, an international organization, people um, coming from many different backgrounds, many different countries, all with different experience, uh, also professional experience before they joined the EPO. So I find I also enjoyed that aspect of the job, which is the exchange with colleagues. You know, we're three people in the division, in an examining division, and this exchange is... is, uh, no, I'm lucky because in my field, at least, it's uh, normally a very constructive exchange. And it's, you really do learn through these exchanges. And when another, um, when another pair of eyes look, looks at the application, you can also together um, find a way and, 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 you know, understand and, and, and find the best and the, and the broadest scope of protection for the applicant, while at the same time, of course, um, fulfilling all the requirements of the EPC. So th- there are different aspects um, that I find enjoying, but I mean, th- I would say it could sum it up in the variety, both of the subject matter that we work with and as well as that, the environment we work in. It's, yeah, that's um, it's exciting. Yes, it's uh, and enjoyable. And, and a day doesn't go by when I don't learn something new. And I think that's important in life, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's that's one of the aspects of working uh, in this field. It's you, you learn something every day, as you mentioned. And I know that I've been at this for an inordinately long time, but I still learn something every day. That's satisfying for sure. So thanks very much, Ola. It's been very interesting to talk to you. You've had a fascinating career uh, up till joining EPO and even also one that's really engaging as as it comes across. Yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Nigel. It was nice to talk to you today. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation, at epo.org or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.